And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. college football podcast hosted by yours truly Nicole Auerbach and I am joined as I always am or not always but most of the time am by my friend Michael Felder colleague from Stadium and and we're going to break down the biggest storylines heading into the college football playoff national semifinals which are finally here Um, the name power hour means that we will discuss it in an hour or less Um, you can have a beverage as you listen that is your choice And if you enjoy this podcast, uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. Uh, Give us five stars, because much like your favorite recruits, we want to make an immediate impact. And Felder, welcome. We have made it. It is the week of the semifinals. And I know how much you love the actual games, and less so the storylines around them. So we're going to talk about the actual games. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Like I like, there's a lot of good football to be had here. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of um, uh, gamesmanship to happen. And then obviously, obviously, there's also a lot of execution that's going to have to happen for teams to get to where we think they should be, or teams to pull off the upset that we think they could do. So I'm I'm into all of that. Like that's the whole. That's the reason I work in this industry is is actual, you know, the football part of it. So. Walk me through, like, what what do you have to do to prep for for you do a lot of film breakdowns. Um, you obviously watch the game as a former player, and you you know I've seen the meticulous notes you take. So, like, when you're prepping for something like this with teams that you've been paying close attention to, how much prep is there? It's it's more matchup prep, right? And 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 one exercise that I do um, is. And it's interesting because I was doing uh, a show that I do college sports now uh, for Liverpool IMG, and I was and I was talking to Roddy Jones, who's at ACC Network, and talking to Wayne Cook, who obviously works for UCLA. Uh, they're broadcast, part of their broadcast team. And there's one exercise that I always do whenever I'm looking at a game, and it's who would I replace? Who would I replace? And basically what I do is I look who from this team should start for that team. And so that's one of the big things that I do because I want to know, like, what's our talent base? And the best way to figure out your talent base is to figure out who are you taking off one team to put on another team? And got into it with Roddy, and it was very, like, that's one of the big things that I do all the time. And then when you talk about, as teams that I've paid attention to all season long, and obviously I watched every single one of the these these final, the top four, I've watched every single one of their games. And I watched them again and again and again and again and again. And I think that's the part, I think that's one of those things that people don't really realize is – you have to watch a game a lot of times to find out what's going to happen or how the pieces work or what they're trying to do to people. And so it's not the same as 
I'm on my couch having a beer watching a game. It's like my my I'll be you you've met my wife obviously uh Nicole and she hates it because it is <laughs> go back go back go back go back frame advance frame advance go back go back go back go back go back go forward go forward go forward okay run that one back again okay now I'm watching a different thing so let's keep watching the same play but watch it again and so that's kind of my whole deal I I watch these teams play cuz I want to know what's going to happen and I also, I think one of the other big parts is want to know how they can attack each other. And attack is the name of the game in today's current college football. Attack, because attack means explosion. Explosion, offensively, we know what explosive plays are, right? We know that those are those chunk yardage plays. But attack on defense means disruption. And disruption leads to explosive defensive plays, which are tackles for loss or sacks or... Um, you know, in the, in the, the tackles for loss and sacks, and then it leads to the big explosive plays, which are turnovers. And how do you get those? And how can you create them? And do you have the personnel to consistently create them? And so that's so. Long story short, it's not even short. Long story long, basically, in terms of my answer to your question, it's a lot of watching wrinkles and how teams work to see. At the end of the day, can you get pressure with four? Do you have to blitz to get pressure? What does blitz? What do, what do blitzes do to your coverage schemes? What coverages do you play? And what coverages can you play? And then, how do you exploit that on the other side offensively when the team does that to you? Okay, so so let's let's get into that because especially defensively, I think that's going to be some interesting points. And basically, we'll just start out by saying this: this is a cheat sheet for the two semifinals. We will tell you things that you can then repeat to your friends and sound pretty smart because these are going to be some points that not everyone is making. There will be some that everyone will because there's major storylines in both of these matchups. But think of this as a cheat sheet. Think of this as as tips and individual matchups or scheme and things that you're going to be able to say and sound pretty smart as you're watching these games or in the couple days leading up. So let's start with Alabama-Notre Dame. And I think that we have focused a lot. Let's start big picture. We focused a lot on when Notre Dame beat Clemson in South Bend. Everyone said, okay, they finally got the monkey off their back. They won a big game. It was a close game. They didn't get blown out on that stage. That narrative is totally gone now that they got blown out by full strength Clemson. So the expectation, the betting line, everyone is thinking that there is real potential for this to get ugly really fast. And what I think is unfair is that the Notre Dame players have had to answer for the blowouts past in the last few days. They've been asked about how to prevent something like that. And listen, this is something that has been like basically a decade of, of Notre Dame teams. This is everyone's going back to the 2012 national championship. These are not the same players. However, I think because of the way they're built and the way they score, there are some real concerns about a blowout. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. I think that is, and and obviously Brian Kelly, kind of, you know, his he got his, his hackles came up because of because of that as well. It's one of those things that be, be we've talked about this before because college football is a regional sport that with a national eye, folks only remember these key elements, right? They only remember that one moment. Yes. So the last time, the last time a lot of people from the South saw Notre Dame was the Clemson game or the other Clemson game and then the Alabama game. And that's the only time that they've, they've really watched them because they don't care. 
about Notre Dame. And so that's that's their image in time. And so I think this team is different. Um, that being said, as we get to talk about the game, I think they do still have a major issue. And that major issue is what I kind of alluded to is explosion. And not having explosive players against an Alabama. And out, listen, Alabama, Alabama is remarkable in terms of what they have become. We're talking about a team that changed who they were, right? Like you don't usually see that. The Alabama, the, the here, real, realistically, the Alabama team that we see right now would beat the they would beat the hell out of the Alabama team from 2012. Yes, and like that's scary because the 2012 team beat the hell out of Notre Dame, and so it's it's interesting. But yes, from a narrative standpoint, I think that what I I guess, and here's what I'll do: I'll, I'll, like, I'll, I see the narrative, and then I will try to explain. Like, I think that people, because they only watch this much football or that much football, and they don't, they, they see this, they, they recognize. Well, Notre Dame's going to get blown out. They got blown out by Clemson. They'll get blown out by Notre Dame. That's the narrative. Okay, and they got blown out in 2012, and that's the narrative. And I get that. The reality is, the problem for Notre Dame is. They just don't have – they don't have a dude at quarterback. Yep. And they don't have – and when you don't have a dude – because Alabama, I don't believe, has a dude at quarterback either. But they got a bunch of dudes out there at wide receiver. And that, for me, is a massive difference. And so I look at them, and I think this is going to be a very – I don't know. This feels like um, – was it Michigan State? Yep, Michigan State and Bama. Where I covered that game. That was a that was a tough one to sit through. It was long. <laughs> or or if it feels like that, because it's like Notre Dame's whole game is going to be to try to shorten the game, sit on the ball, hold it, ball control. But if you look back over the course, I mean, and this goes all the way back. Oh my God! Are we we're talking about what? Twelve years of Alabama from two thousand eight till now. Yeah, we're talking. You can't sit on your. The only team that was able to sit on their hands and still have a game and win against Alabama was L- Has been LSU, and that's because LSU has the same players as Alabama. Yep. And then when Alabama decided we don't want to sit on our hands anymore, LSU was like, "Oh no!" Up until you know a year ago, obviously, but. Every other time, it was like, oh, oh no, <laughs> we're gonna lose. Right. Well, and 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 listen, like Brian Kelly is well aware of this. I mean, he he was talking about that this week in his Zoom sessions. He was talking about. I mean, people were basically trying to get him to say, yeah, we're gonna try to limit possessions. We we just don't want Alabama's right. offense to have the ball that much. Like we're aware of what they've done to teams. And I just keep thinking back to the Florida game. In the final minute before halftime, everyone's immediate reaction to Florida scoring the touchdown was they gave them they they scored too soon. They they gave Alabama too much time, and then Alabama scores almost instantly. And so I think that that is a real real concern and a real strategy for Notre Dame. And and I think it's okay because they're built in a different way, which again is is a problem if this turns into a shootout, which it very well could because they can't they they just don't have. They don't have those two play touchdown drives 
nearly as often as the other three teams in the playoff. But they they can sustain long drives, and so that that will shorten the game if they can do that. You know, and again, they're they're just built differently, and so so like that is a benefit because they're going to need to have long scoring drives if they can do that because it will shorten the game. And but the question is, can they do that? And what happens when then Alabama, you know, two plays later scores a touchdown and you're down seven nothing, then you're down fourteen nothing, or whatever it might end up being. Like you, you, the the quick, the the explosive offense piece is a big problem, I think, in this game. And then I, I just wonder, you know, we've seen different weaknesses, I would say, because you know, relative in Alabama's defense. In some mm-hmm. of these games, we've seen, you know, Ole Miss, and and I know you want to talk about some that we saw against Florida, yep. but I don't know that Notre Dame has the offense that's necessarily going to exploit those weaknesses. That's And I think that's the key point here. Um, it, it's great that you can sustain drives and that you're methodical and you do all these things. That sounds fantastic until we watch the actual first, you know, the first quarter of the ACC championship game, and for all your – even forcing a turnover and then all your being methodical, you got three points on the board and that's erased immediately by an Amari Rogers play. So it's a touchdown is one play for Alabama. A touchdown is one play for Clemson. A touchdown is one play for Ohio state. It's not methodical. It's not slow. It's explosive and powerful. And that's the difference. And if you're exchanging field goals for, I mean, this is the same thing we see in basketball, right? Three pointers are better. <laughs> like, like we're we're see, like the Golden State Warriors are built on the premise of we'll play some okay defense and maybe we give up some twos, but we're gonna hit a bunch of threes and guess what? At the end of the day, we're gonna win. Like that was what all the Splash Bros stuff was. Mm-hmm. So this is the same thing. This is trading field goals for touchdowns and or empty drives or or flipping the field for more touchdowns. So that's the part that's going to be interesting. I um, I don't know. For me, when I look at Notre Dame, I think our intriguing part of this, especially for both teams, are the defenses. Because Alabama's defense has proven itself. And and I think to go back, to go forward, backward, going backwards to go forwards, Alabama, I think Nick Saban and Alabama have realized my defense can be perfect. My defense can be as good as they want to be. But at some point, they're going to make a mistake. And then one of those mistakes, or somebody else is going to make a play. And when somebody else makes a play, that play is seven points. And when that play is seven points, it doesn't matter how good my defense is. My offense has to be better, which is what he's done to his football team now. But when you get to this year's team, listen, sure, Sertan's probably going to be a first-round draft pick. That's great. Awesome. Fantastic. And we'll talk about it with Ohio State as well. Sean Wade's probably going to be a first-round first round draft pick too but guess what there are receivers out there that can give these guys the blues if you keep throwing them the football and that's that's the part where Notre Dame's offense comes into play because I wonder and I question how that's going to work for them I remember 2012 they 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 flexed out Tyler Eifert and thought him versus D Milliner was going to be like they're key to the game. Obviously, it was not. And this game, like, I don't know that Skoranek can get open against these guys. But I don't think it matters because he can catch the ball over people. 
Now the question becomes, will Ian Book throw it to him in those times? Or will Ian Book have time to throw it to him? And I think having your offensive line, especially if these guys can get all, all be healthy for this game, I think their offensive line is formidable. I don't know that they're people movers against Alabama in terms of the run game, but they have two – they have quality running backs. They have those guys. So, yes, they should be able to sustain some drives. The problem is finishing those drives. It's not about sustaining. It's about finishing because if you're not a team that's going to make explosive plays consistently, then you have to finish every single drive. It's, it's like bowling, right? It's no open frames. And if you leave frames open, yeah, next thing you know, you end up and you're, you've rolled a, you rolled a 79 and the other guy's got 100, 182 and you're in trouble. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And then on the other side, defensively for Notre Dame, I really like Kyle Hamilton. I think Sean Crawford is a good player, but they are both players that are at their best going forward. And if you're at your best going forward, that means you're not moving backwards and I'm going to tell you what, that means guys can get over top of you. If guys can get over top of you or guys can get behind you or quarterback can put the ball behind you and that vertical game is the problem, now you're in trouble. And with Alabama, with the amount of weapons that they have, and do we have a word on if Jalen Waddell is going to give it a go or not? Because there's rumors that people are saying he might play. I do not know. So, which, But that's the idea that he might come back is scary because – they're already doing this with, with Mechie, with Bolden, and then obviously Devonta Smith, and then you throw in Billingsley. They're already doing it. And so this isn't to say, Notre Dame fan, you don't have you don't have a chance. It's more to say what you're doing is you've got to push a boulder up a hill, and if you slip, that thing can roll back over top of you, and then you're done. And so defensively, I like Adi Ogundeji. I think he's an excellent football player. I think that Bo Bauer is an excellent football player. I don't know. I can't remember his name. 35 for them with the hair is an absolute beast. I love the way that he plays. They make great plays coming to the line of scrimmage. What you have to have to be long-term successful against whether it's Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, what you have to have are guys that make great plays going away from the line of scrimmage. And that's another difference that I don't think a lot of people – take into account when they look at the the ball game. But you got to have guys that are successful going away from the line of scrimmage. It's great to come downhill. And I think downhill football is the way you're supposed to play. But to to consistently make plays, you also got to make those things going away from the line of scrimmage. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So I think for all those reasons, it's it's why this might be the worst possible matchup for Notre Dame. And, and I think that a lot of these issues would also probably pop up with Clemson and Ohio State, which is why when we talk about the way those three teams are built versus the way Notre Dame is built, that's what we're talking about. So, so let's get into the other semifinal, which I think everyone is really hyped for. I think this is going to be a great game. Um, and there's definitely uh, a lot of I, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely a bit of a rivalry brewing. There's definitely bad blood on both sides. Dabo continues to harp on the fact that Ohio State only played six games, which I don't know if that's a great idea. I think you do need to move on from that at some point because we're not going to go back in time a week and not put Ohio State in the playoff. Um, but so the, the overarching, you know, storylines certainly are – that this is a rematch. These are two teams that have met multiple times in the college football playoff. Last year's was, was an incredible game. Um, And, you know, there were some controversial calls and all of these things. And you have most of the same key players. You've got Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, who've kind of come up through major college football together and have been compared to each other. um, will continue to be compared to each other as we enter NFL draft season, all of these things. And I, I think that, I am very interested to see Ohio State's offense against Clemson's defense, but I, I do want to start with with the Trevor Lawrence factor. Now, this is someone who, for for whatever reason, when he you know was sick with COVID and was out of sight, out of mind, everyone kind of forgot he's you know arguably the best player in the country. And we saw that against Notre Dame in the ACC championship game. We have seen him use his legs. And I think that that has been probably the most obvious area of growth over the last two seasons with him is using his legs. And he did that against Ohio State last time. That will not be a surprise to to Ryan Day and to um, his staff as they prepare for this. But I think that coupled with the way that that opens up the run game for Travis Etienne could end up being the keys for Clemson offensively in this game. So wherever you want to start on this one, but I'm, I'm most curious about, you know, the impact of Trevor Lawrence. No, I, I think you're, you're spot on. You start with the, with the big guy, right? Trevor Lawrence and, and, and him versus fields has been as someone who does, who works in recruiting as well. It's been going on for years, right? The idea of which one is better. And I have no problem admitting, I thought fields was going to be the guy. Um, because I thought he would fit into that Georgia locker room a little bit better than Trevor might fit into it. And then I saw the video of Trevor Lawrence setting a pick on a, on a guy in intramural basketball. And I was like, oh, he's a dude. <laughs> he's going to be fine. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, this is a, for me, this is, it, 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 this is it, Trevor Lawrence is someone who does everything. He checks every single box. And by the way, I don't think enough people realize this, that this guy is a giant. Like, have you got a chance to stand next to him? Yes. He is. He Listen, there is a reason that he's basically been NFL ready since he was a freshman. The guy's just built. Like, he looks like an NFL quarterback. And he looked like that at 17. 
Yeah, and, like that's the thing. Like I've had a chance. I've had multiple chances to stand next to him and talk to him, and like looking up to him is like you're like, oh yeah, you're humongous. And any here's one thing. I'll there there are two things with Trevor Lawrence that I will. I I just I I hope people will pay attention to when they do the t when they do the the short timeout, not the TV timeout, the short timeout where you get to watch them, all the players kind of come together in that little huddle and talk to the coaches. One, watch the way that he is the same height as his lineman. Pay attention to that, and then look at the other team. Even Fields is not as tall as him. And look at – just pay attention to that because that's a big deal. He's huge. That's why it's hard to tackle. It doesn't look like he's doing a lot when he's running, but guess what? A lot of guys don't want to hit him because he's a giant. And two, watch how little he looks to the sideline. And I think that is – you mentioned NFL ready. I think that he was NFL size, NFL capable in terms of ability when he got to Clemson, but now he's NFL ready in terms of this is my show and I run it myself. He doesn't look, he doesn't ask for help. He doesn't look for other things. He is telling everybody what to do. And I think it's to me, that's beautiful football because what that does is now give your offense the freedom to exploit the defense. Because now it's not waiting, waiting, waiting. You can truly use tempo and use tempo with complex calls. And that's the cool thing. He's probably getting, I'm assuming, and this is just a guess, I'm assuming he's probably getting three, four plays every play. He's getting three or four plays. And now he's looking through, what, which play should I get us into? And then he figures out which play to get him into. And that's why when you mention the run game, that's the run game. That's where the run game opens up. That's the thing that DJ Uyangalele couldn't do because he's getting two plays, a run and a pass, and he's making the right read, but it's much easier to defend. Now Trevor Lawrence is getting the three plays, the four plays, and he's figuring out, okay, this I see what they're doing here. Okay, I see two high safeties. They're in press. Looks like two-man. Let's Let me put someone in motion so I can – figure out for sure if it's man or if it's zone. Okay, we got someone in motion. The motion doesn't mean anything. He's not even crossing the floor. He's coming that and then going back. Okay, we're done. I got I know what now I know exactly what they're doing. Oh, they're not bringing a pressure. Okay, you know what? We're going to hand this one off to Travis and let him go and I'm making sure we're all set up in the right call or I'm going to sh- I'm going to I'm going to fake hand it off to him and I'm going to keep it because they're not going to have anybody in this area and that's where I can make my hay. So that's the part of the run game that I don't think enough people realize. It's there are le- football is not just you. This isn't this isn't you call thirty two dive football. This isn't thirty three. You know this isn't twenty four counter football. This is okay. I got these three plays. This is what I want to do, and then there's a tag on the back end of it, and that tag is what is going to get us the thing. Like watching him, watching him work tags is awesome. The fact that he. I mean, the throw to Cornell Powell, good grief. Was it his first game back, I believe, uh, against Pitt? Yeah. And he threw a fifty a, a pass that went 60 yards in the air, 50 yards you know, from a line of scrimmage to him. He, he, it's, a, it's a play where he recognizes, I want to show run. I want, I want to make sure I show run. I want to show pa- uh, play action. Oh, they're playing cover zero behind me because it's a first down, if I'm not mistaken. They're playing cover zero over the top, which means the safeties are coming down into the box. Oh, I'm going to show run. Now everybody's going to be completely confused. They're not bringing pressure. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry. (coughs) Excuse me. I want to show run. So I, you know, I go play action to ATN. 
I stand tall in the pocket. I throw the ball down the field in one-on-one coverage, and I throw him away from the corner. And but he can do all those things, and I think those are that's going to be really important, especially now to flip it over to Ohio State against like Ohio State secondary that, quite frankly, has not been great. And I think I love Sean Wade. I think he's remarkable as an individual piece. But when you attack, 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 attack him, there's going to be some faults. No, there isn't a corner in the world. Like, I just got done watching The Usual Suspects, and the, obviously the tagline from that is, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And the greatest thing that a cornerback can do is convince you of how great he is so that you don't test him and test him and test him again. And the problem is you it's so hard in today's football. This isn't a, crit- a critique of Sean Wade. This is the reality of today's football is that it's not built for guys to be good at corner. It's not. Football isn't. They're going to call you for pass interference all the time. There, there's going to be back shoulder throws that, like, do you, like I remember growing, back shoulder throws weren't, weren't a thing when I was growing up. That wasn't a thing. What are you talking about? You throw the nine ball, you throw the fade, you throw it over the top, and I run to cover it and I bat it down and we're done. Now you got back shoulder throw where he's stopping, you're trying to stop him, you get your arm hooked around. All those, it's the game is built for offense, and Sean Wade is not like he he can't he can't be a stopper. He can't be a stopper every play because the game does isn't built for that. And then the other problem for me with Ohio State is they do a lot of spot dropping in zone coverage, and spot dropping is where you have landmarks, right? Every zone coverage has landmarks. You're supposed to be twelve yards at the hash. Six yards at the numbers. You're supposed to be on the numbers. Twenty-five yards. That's all your zo- all your zone stuff, right? But when you drop to a spot, you still have to match the person. It's called pattern matching. And if you don't pattern match, you have you. If you don't pattern match, you can't deny. If you can't deny, then they're going to make the throw. They're going to make the throw, and they may not get a lot of run after the catch. And you watch Ohio State play; they don't give up a lot of run after the catch. The problem is the catches, and those catches lead to first downs. The first downs, those are the problems. And so that's the thing that's been interesting to watch. So it'll be interesting, like that part that part of this game with Trevor Lawrence understanding what's happening. Oh, by the way, Amari Rogers, Dooney, oh, and EJ Williams, who has grown up. Those are That's going to be the matchup to watch. And then, oh, let's not forget we've got this all-world kid in Travis Etienne who can – catch out of the backfield, can run, run you over, run through arm tackles. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. I think Ohio State's front seven is the best part of their defense. Um, man, shout out to the way that Baron, Baron Browning and, 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 and Pete Werner and, and, and um, Tub Borough, the way, especially Pete Werner, he's had a better year. This has been his best year of college football. He's been awesome. He's been everywhere. Um, him trying to cover ATN is going to be very interesting. If we're going to go individual matchup, I think well, that's going to be. I think that that Travis Etienne still is underrated, like nationally. I mean, I, you know, he's setting all sorts of records. He's, you know, the most prolific running back in the ACC history, and yet, you know, he he does stuff that kind of takes you by surprise. And again, I don't think that the teams that are preparing for him are surprised. They they talk about him the way that they should, 
But I do think that, you know, the, the, the way that they are more intentional with him in the past game, coupled with, as you know, we're talking about with Trevor in the run game, it really makes them hard to defend. And, and I like what you were saying about Trevor and the way that he has more control over the offense and he can make decisions. Because I think about how the, the, the quarterback that made me really love football was Peyton Manning because I loved that element. I loved that he was his own offensive coordinator. And certainly Trevor Lawrence is not in that position. This is, certainly it's not the same. But I loved watching Peyton Manning change the play call. And I loved watching him audible. I loved watching him direct, um, you know, all of his players around kind of like, you know, they were puppets, right? Like with his hands, you know, I loved all of that. And, and not that Trevor's there, but this is what you see with a veteran quarterback like that who, who masters his offense so well. Um, and, and I think that that's an element that is really interesting of this as well, because, you know, yes, you know, this, this Ohio State defense, a lot of these players, a lot of these coaches saw Trevor last year, but he continues to grow in just understanding football, how slow it comes to him. Um, and I'm fascinated about that. And I think, you know, before we flip over to Ohio State's offense, Clemson D, I did just want to point out, we've talked about this throughout the season, but, you know, Clemson's receivers, as you mentioned, they, they've emerged, you know, you know, these guys have really had individual moments, individual games. Um, and, you know, my colleague Grace Rayner has, has profiled each of them at various points in the year, and they've done incredible things, but they're not built the same way that T. Higgins and Justin Ross are, where they were basically basketball players, and they could go up and get any 50-50 ball. And that could, I, I'm going to say bail out Trevor or bail out the Clemson offense, but it wasn't that because, you know, like they were trying to get the ball to those guys, but they could do things that didn't require you to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you don't really have that as much. And again, not like Trevor doesn't have insane receivers. There's still this pipeline of insane receivers that come through Clemson. But I, I do think that element is, is a little bit different. Um, so, so let's flip over to, to Ohio State's offense on Clemson's D. And I think we've got to start with Justin Fields here because his two worst performances of the season came in the two biggest games. And that's concerning. And, you know, I was listening to, um, you know, Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis on, you know, the athletic podcast A-, A to B. And I think that they really hit it on the head where they're trying to figure out, is it mental? Is it, you know, pressure that he was putting on himself, knowing that he had a shortened season and they needed to show that they were a playoff team, that he was a Heisman contender? Um, or was something off, you know, with, with the mechanics or the, the execution or the way he was reading defenses or things like that. But that's where it's got to start because Justin Fields needs to be great in this game for Ohio State to win. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I think there's – I'm of two minds here. One, I think Indiana, obviously we're talking about the Indiana and the Northwestern game. Um, there are a couple things. One, I don't think he has much, as much control over the offense as, as we reference with Trevor Lawrence. I also – I think that it's, it's, this is an offense that – it's, it's a 
and I hate to I, I don't I hate to say it this way, but it's so player it's it's rooted in the the idea of my guys can beat your guys. It's not the play calls aren't remarkably spectacular. Um it's pretty simple what they do. And that's not a knock on it. I, I think like, like Miami won national championships running an offense where everybody knew the play. The problem was our guys were better than your guys. So it, it, I think the, the the key for me is is that we're seeing teams kind of throw the kitchen sink at them now. And good teams, Northwestern is very good on defense. Don't don't make any mistake about it. They are limited athletically with what they can do, but they are very good defensively in terms of execution. They remind me a lot of like the Wisconsin teams that we saw of the past or the Michigan State teams that we saw of the past that were just really good defensively because they knew everybody knew what they were supposed to do and, and they made it look like one thing and then they did another. And I think that that is a level of confusion. And, and, and to take that to the Clemson side, without Nolan Turner, I do think that the first half is going to be a lot easier than the second half of this football game because Clemson's going to have to play it straight up. You, 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 you can't disguise. You can't bring pressure from depth and feel comfortable about not making a mistake without Nolan Turner in the football game. And losing Nolan Turner is the exactly – it's exactly the same as when they didn't have Skalski against Notre Dame. Yep. It, it's, it, that's what it is. That's the reality of the situation. If you don't have your guy in the back end who makes everything work and gets everybody on the same page, there's a thing – so there's a saying in football – my coach used to say, Auerbach, it, it, it's, if we're all wrong, we're all right. Meaning, if we're all, like, we could call cover two, but if we're all playing cover four, we're going to be okay. As long as we're all the same type of wrong, we'll be okay. And Nolan Turner is the guy that gets them into that same type of wrong or that same type of right. And so they're going to have to over-communicate and, We'll see what that looks like, uh, obviously, when the games get played on the first. But. Well, and, and I think it's important to note, too, that, that some of their guys up front are young. I mean, these are the five-star, four-star, five-star guys that, you know, are, are Clemson national championship level recruiting. And so they've been terrific. Bressy. Yep. Murphy. These guys Tyler, get- Tyler Davis is only a sophomore. I mean, they're, yeah. they're young. And so when you think about, like, MVPs of the defense, and obviously, you know, we saw the impact not having Skowski. It, it's, it's, that's where that pressure is going to be in the first half without, without Nolan Turner. And I think, you know, I, 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 I'm, again, these, these guys have been just – they've been terrific up front. They've been elite. They came in ready to play. But this is the biggest game that they'll have played in. And so, you, you know, and they're going to need to get pressure on Justin Fields. They're going to need to try to get Trey Sermon not to have a career day and look more like he did the rest of the season. So they're going to need to try to do things and to apply pressure against the best team that they'll have played so far. I mean, you could argue with Notre Dame, but I, I would say Ohio State will probably be a tougher test. And and that's where it's it's more important than ever to have that veteran leadership and also – kind of the cohesion on the defensive side. So I'm super fascinated by that and, and what that defensive front can do. Cause it's not like the, you know, it's not the Dexter Lawrence's and the, you know, the Cleveland Farrell's like these groups that have been together for four years, all decided to come back. 
um, it's it's very different. So I, I think it's going to be an awesome challenge and and matchup in particular. And and I think that that's something that we've kind of you know everyone's more attracted to flashy offenses and talking about the quarterbacks, but that's where the game could be decided. And I think you're right that people are not focusing enough on that targeting penalty and how that first half is is going to impact the game. Now b- before we go, Felder, I, I got to get an official prediction from you because. If there's nothing that fans like more, it's when people write down specific predictions and then are wrong. So we need to get this on the record for each semifinal. Uh, maybe a score if you got a score, but at least who you think you're going to win these games. So I, for me, I, I, let's, I, 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 one thing I, one thing I didn't want to say before I do this. Is it going to take Ryan Day 45, 50 minutes of football to realize that maybe I should run it? Well, he can't, he can't do that against – Against Clemson, he's going to have to. If you if you have any mismatch or any advantage, you've got to find it immediately. Right, like that was. I, I'm still furious about the fact that you've got this run game and a run game that can work, and you're bigger, faster, stronger than Northwestern. Maybe just move them out of the way with guys like Wyatt Davis. So let's just do that. So, but no, I am. Um, all right, let's go. We'll start with the what is the four, we got a four o'clock and an eight o'clock. So four o'clock game, Bama Notre Dame. I am going to take Alabama from a score standpoint. And look, good grief! Now I got to make sure I write this down so I don't give two different scores uh, when I do this on Thursday with with Hartzell. Um, for me, from a score standpoint, I mean I think we're looking at a forty-five to seventeen game. I was I was going to say something similar. I was thinking like forty-two, seventeen, or twenty-one. So I will go 42 uh, – I'll go 42-20. There we go. We got it. And then for the 8 o'clock game, Clemson and Ohio State, the, the, the beauty – and obviously we're going to get to see – we didn't even talk about Chris Olave. I mean, can't we, we got this far without <laughs> him. I mean, him being back is, is critical. And yes. him against – uh, Darian Kendrick and, and and Andrew Booth is going to be really, especially at the start, because remember, a year ago, we saw uh, in, in the championship game, a year ago, we saw A.J. Terrell just get roasted. And it's not like Venables forgot about that. He's going to be remembering that. And I expect that he's going to give a little more help to his corners. He's going to give his guys a little bit more breathing room because he doesn't want that to happen again. But I think that that, that Olave Wilson uh, uh, against Booth and Kendrick is going to be a remarkable matchup to watch because they are all of them are so talented. And we again going back to the old the exercise that I do, like who are you trading off? If you look at Ohio State's roster. I think Kendrick and, and, and Booth, and then you move Sean Wade to that that third corner. I think that's I think that's the best secondary. I think that's the best corners, at least, in the national championship. Those those three guys. And ooh, no, I forgot about Sertan when we're talking about the power the power four. Oh man, if you could get Sertan, man, do you take Wade out and put Sertan in? Like that's but this is what I this is the, the insane stuff that I spend my time thinking about. I like how this is probably gonna keep you up at night tonight. Yeah, it it, it does. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, I get into my notebook and then I start like I draw it out and I'm like, mm, do I want this guy or do I want that guy? Because the most interesting part is, and for me at least, is would you replace Jamie Skowski with Tough Borland? Mm. 
Tough's a little more. He's more athletic, but James knows what he's. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's he's got uh, in the words of uh, Denzel from Training Day, he's got mad squabbles. Like guys, good. He's he's really good. So no, to to answer this one, I've I've stalled a little bit, but. Clemson, Ohio State. I think this is more of a one-score type game. We're looking at 37-31, Clemson. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I, I am with you, I think, especially if um, Olave is back because that you, you could certainly see the difference in, in what they were able to do in the passing game without him. And so if he's back, that and, and Justin Fields is good Justin Fields. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got to play his best game of the year. You know, I, I'm with you. I, I think it's I think it's a one score game. I'd be surprised if it is in the forties. I'd be surprised if it is above what you were saying. I think it could also be in the twenties. I think this is a game that again, it's it's more evenly matched up than we've seen these teams play, um, especially at full strength with Clemson. So um I'm gonna say thirty five twenty eight. I like it um, because you kind of score. You stole my score range, but I think we're on the same page in this. I think that that you know we are expecting the first semifinal to be a blowout if it goes the way that we think it would, and we are expecting the second one to be close because these teams are built in similar ways. They have similar talent levels. They have great quarterbacks, and they played a tight game last time. So I think that's what's what's really exciting about this is that there's there's history between these teams. I mean, that's one thing that. I don't love about the playoff is we've seen the same teams in it all the time, but I also think that because we've had the same teams in it, now you've got some friction between Ohio State and Clemson that wouldn't otherwise exist. So before we wrap, we've got to do our last calls. This is our segment where we do a rant or we do something we want to cheers to, but it is uh, you know one last opportunity to get something off our chest. And um, I will do a last call to coaching searches because <laughs> I think that what ends up happening like let's, we didn't get into this and we, we can get into it in the off season a little more but Brian Harson gets hired by Auburn and you have all sorts of conflicting reports out there about how many people actually interviewed for the job you had all these pu- these coaches in other places publicly reaffirm their commitment to their other school which you can do even if you're not offered a job even if there's no feelers via a third party um, but I think that the way that these things are covered and you have people carrying water for different people, you have, you know, smoke screens on certain candidates, you have boosters who, you know, might be telling one person one thing, but they aren't really the booster that decides the search. Um, there's such a mess. And I think, you know, in this one, we even had a flight tracker. There was a flight going to Bloomington, which was some random person's flight. Like, for I, I do enjoy some of the messiness, but I also don't enjoy the fact that there's so much going on and it sets a narrative that a search is either a disaster or a success. Even if you only end up with a couple of candidates or you, you know, all of these things, it ends up clouding the way the fan base reacts to the hire. And there's some when there's an absolute mess like Tennessee, absolute mess, right? And then there's some with Auburn, where you can absolutely understand that maybe there were only a couple of serious candidates and a lot of the other stuff was just kind of happening around the periphery. Um, and there's plenty of potential issues with Brian Harson taking this job, going from Boise State to Auburn. 
congratulations. He wanted to be in a league that cared more about football. He got it. He left Boise, and he's now at Auburn. But it just bothers me the way that narratives are shaped around coaching searches based on a lot of, you know, again, people are projecting certain things. People are posturing. People are leaking certain things. And it ends up setting narratives that are not always true. And it's just frustrating um, because I think that certain things then are hard to unlearn. Even when you read, you know, and you understand, like, what actually happened and how things actually happened, it doesn't overshadow that initial narrative, which is that you offer the job to 20 different guys. And, and we all know in college sports, Dan Wolken used to have this as his pinned tweet, that no one is offered a job until they accept it, right? Like, there's always only the one person was offered the job. So there's a lot of gray area in there, and it's just frustrating. Uh, you know, again, I, I think there's there's some in very entertaining parts of coaching searches, but there's also a lot of really annoying parts where it's hard to see through what is actually happening, and I think that's even harder for fans sometimes. No, I, th- I think you're spot on. It's really tough to, to kind of slice through the BS, and then once that, that that's tough, once it's on your plate already – it's it's really hard to get it off, especially uh, in terms of what the coaching search is actually actually like. Uh, mine, I'm gonna go a little more holiday related. Um, this is this is my third Christmas here in Chicago, and I, I just am like I like <laughs> I'm just jealous of of you of people who got to see their family, and so for me, like and and and, and to relate it back to college football. Like there's guys that are going to be playing in bowl games that haven't been home, and so I just I completely identify with them, and I feel for them, and I hope that at some point they get to go home because it's really rough. And I'm listen. I say this as a 36 year old. I can't imagine being 19 and not being able to go home because we've got to make sure we stick to COVID protocols and. And, 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 and like, and I, listen, I'm, I'm a man. I'm, I'm someone who my mom came up to visit me every Sunday, my freshman year, because I missed home that much. And I know there's a bunch of guys out there like that. So just like the season has just been a lot. And we saw it with teams kind of bowing out and deciding not to go to bowl games. It's, um, it's a little bit harder than I think a lot of folks realize. And so, I hope they understand that and it's 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 and appreciate what they what these guys are giving them the coaches the players the whole deal what they're giving them in terms of of playing some of these bowl games so that they can be entertained while they you know sit at their house with their families and you know hang out that's all I just I'm yeah I, like I didn't mean to be a ma- massive downer but like it's okay that happens at last call too sometimes yeah yeah well that's a good point <laughs> <laughs> Um, we will wrap it there. Um, and thanks for listening to Power Hour. We'll be back next Tuesday. And I just want to give a quick shout out. Andy Staples on this very feed did a mega preview episode for the semifinals with beat writers for all four teams. It's really great. It's thorough. Be sure to check it out. Um, and obviously subscribe, rate, and review this feed. Um, we love talking college football. Uh, we love hanging out with you guys who, who listen. And Andy will be back tomorrow. Ari Wasserman will be back on the feed later in the week. Um, And we will be back next Tuesday with Power Hour. Thank you for listening.